The bars, Chris. Well, that sounded bad, didn't it? <laughs> the bars on the audio thing. <laughs> there you go. Not that I think Chris knows anything at all about the other ones in town. The past couple of weeks, we've been doing a study to discover that God is truly closer than we think. We've talked about his desire to be close to us, to be with us. And the second week we learned how the Spirit of God is present within us as Christians. Another place to experience God's presence is in the lives of the people around us, particularly those who are followers of Christ. Here's a question we're going to ask ourselves today. How do you know if you are seeing God's presence in and through the people around you? Now, I understand that this truly sounds weird in a way to say, I, I want to look for the presence of God. We don't typically think right off the top of our heads about looking at the people around us. To see if we can see the presence of God in them. But if you stop and think about it a little bit, there's many cases where we can look at someone and really see in what they're doing or how they're living the presence of God and how near he is to us. If you have a, a Bible with you, you can turn to Colossians 4, 7-13. I'm going to read this passage. It's Paul's final words to the church at Colossae. And here's what he has to say to the congregation. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you to, for the express purpose that you may know our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My, fa my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him, if he comes to you, to welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for, ki for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Do you realize that when you're a part of a small group of individuals, there's a story, a dream that's attached to every person. 
That's part of doing life together, about doing life in community. And that's what lies behind Paul's words here. Unfortunately, this is the sort of biblical text that a lot of people tend to just skip over, right? Okay, personal greetings, blah, 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 blah. I'm done, let's get to the meat. But I want to take a little closer look at that this morning. Paul most likely wrote Colossians when he was a prisoner at Rome. Probably not far from the end of his life. At the conclusion of his letter, he sends greetings from a small circle of people. A little community that faced prisoner exile. He sends greetings back to some of their dear friends in Colossae, knowing that some of them would probably never be reunited. In a sense, he pulls back the curtain and reveals his little circle of traveling companions. A handful of names are mentioned, but there's a story behind every one of them. What I want to do this, uh, to do this morning is to look at some of the stories that's represented in these people's lives and just ask you to reflect on that. From the lives of these individuals and Paul's words about them, we're going to see various indicators which help us recognize God's presence in and through those people that he has put around us. The first indicator is this. If you can describe how a person's character traits reflect God, you might be seeing God through the people around you. Paul starts in verse 7 by saying, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. And then Paul gives him this beautiful commendation. Look at the three phrases that he uses to describe Tychicus. He's a dear brother. In other words, we're in relational intimacy together. He says, Tychicus is a faithful minister. Tychicus had some task to work at. We don't know what it was. We're never told what it was. But he was diligent in his work for the community. And finally it says he's a faithful servant of the Lord. That his life and his work were geared towards the master, as were the other people there. Paul writes in verse 8 that he's sending Tychicus so that you may know our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Now, most New Testament scholars think that Tychicus was the representative of the church in the province of Asia who took the offerings that were collected in Asia back to the Christians in Jerusalem who were suffering a lot of financial problems. They were poor, they were oppressed. And they think that it was Tychicus who was the one who took that offering to them. And imagine the encouragement that brought to the believers in Jerusalem. Not just the money, 
which I'm sure was a blessing to them, but the fact that fellow believers from way over there were thinking about them and would take steps to help them. Such encouragement. Antichicus apparently was a guy who was up for that kind of assignment. Paul also wrote about Tychicus to the church uh, at Ephesus. And listen to what he says. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. Now, when Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, he was chained to a Roman guard. Okay? There are certain things you don't want to write down when there's a Roman guard looking over your shoulder. Like, how are the present conditions here? Or, what you think of Caesar that day? You don't want to write that down. So he says Tychicus is going to come so that they can know for sure how things really are. Tychicus would go to the people and reassure them, you know, it's a tough situation. This is kind of the environment that Paul's in. But he's okay. He's in God's hands. And not just that. The gospel's spreading. The kingdom is growing everywhere. And give them a report on their work. And the people would be encouraged. Because when one human being authentically shares his or her experience of God's faithfulness in their life, people get changed. That's how it happens. That's how it always happens. That's how it happens today in the United States of America, in Indiana, in DeMott, and Wheatfield. When one person shares authentically about God's faithfulness in their lives people get changed when you look into the life of another person and are able to see the character traits that resemble God you're reminded of God's close presence to you through them their faithfulness is a reflection of God's faithfulness. Their trustworthiness is a reflection of the trustworthiness of God. The encouragement you see in them is God's encouragement. Stop for a minute and think about people in your circle. Think about their character traits and how, hopefully, you can see the presence of God in who they are and what they do. And that gives you a fresh understanding of how God is close. And we often miss it. Second indicator is this. If you see people, not for their earthly status, but for their stature in Jesus Christ, you might be seeing God through the people around you. A writer by the name of Dennis Waitley 
writes about an exercise that he sometimes includes when he's out public speaking. He asks for eight volunteers to come forward, and he puts a cardboard sign around each one of their necks. On the sign is written a title to indicate their status in life. Baby, mother, astronaut, janitor, rock star, NBA uh, basketball player, doctor, lawyer. And then they are told to position themselves in order of their importance. Now these volunteers are kids between the ages of 7 and 11. And after the pushing and shoving stops, they settle down to a serious status-seeking about who should be in the front of the line. The astronaut heads to the front. I'm first because I'm going to outer space. I'm going to a place where nobody else here can go. Then the rock star walks up and pushes the astronaut into second place, looks down at him, and says, I'm already in outer space. And I make the most money, and I could buy you as the pilot for my private jet. Then the NBA player says, I think I should go first. I make as much money as the rock star and play to a big crowd every night, all season, doing something physical which is better for you. The doctor walks up and makes his case, and so does the lawyer. You want to know who never tries to make it to the front of the line? The janitor. Those who play the janitor doesn't, don't even try to go for first place because they know they will be laughed at if they do, even though this is just a game. If you are a person who can see people, not for their earthly status, but for their stature in Jesus Christ, you are more likely to see the nearness of God through the people around you. Take a look at Colossians 4 verse 9 where Paul writes about another name in his circle. Paul says that Tychicus is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is with you. If you got your Bibles open, you can turn to the letter of Philemon, just a few books further back than Colossians. Onesimus was a runaway slave. Paul had urged him to return willingly to his owner, Philemon, as a sign of obedience to Jesus Christ. We're about to see in a tangible way here that what makes the community of faith so unique is that the old divisions, the old boundaries, the old hostilities are just obliterated in Jesus Christ. Beginning in verse 8, Paul writes to Philemon, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, in other words, Paul's saying, I could command you to be reconciled and receive Onesimus back, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you, for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. 
Now look at the skill and the heart and the care with which Paul works towards rec reconciliation between the two. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now he has become useful both to you and to me. And in case you don't know, Onesimus means useful. Paul's doing a play on words there. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I do not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Even though he could, Paul's not going to pressure the man into doing, to accepting Onesimus. He's not going to power the man into it either. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Now, friends, those were radical words in Paul's day for him to say that. That didn't happen. He would now be a brother, not a slave, both in their church relationship, but also in their earthly relationships. So if you consider me a partner, Paul writes, welcome him as you would welcome me. A slave. A slave. Welcome him as you would welcome an apostle? Do you get it? Onesimus could have been tracked down and killed for running away. But Paul couldn't bear to think of that happening within the body of Christ. In Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, he wrote, Here, there is no Greek or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Look beyond the status or the role of people and see the stature of the person in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Then there's Aristarchus. Paul writes just one thing about him in Colossians, calls him my fellow prisoner. But along with a couple of other New Testament passages, it's sufficient to provide us with our third indicator. If you observe Christ's followers who stick close to those who are in trouble, you might be seeing God through the people around you. People who stick close to those who are in trouble. In Acts 19, Paul's at Ephesus and there's a riot. And we're told that Aristarchus is one of those with Paul. A loyal traveling companion who shared his trouble there. 
Later in Acts 27, it says, When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. And then we find out in verse 2 that Aristarchus accompanied them. He was in there for the long haul. He stuck with people who were in trouble. Now, often we do really well when people are in a short-term crisis, you know, for a week or two, we'll offer support. But what happens when people have long-term needs, ongoing financial problems or career problems, extended illnesses? How loyal are you when, to your circle, to the people that's in your circle, when those situations arise? There's a saying in Proverbs, a piece of wisdom that goes, a friend was born for times of adversity. That's Aristarchus. Paul says he's my fellow prisoner. He was in prison with Paul. Almost certainly voluntarily. He chose to enter the prison to be with Paul. Aristarchus reflects Jesus' promise that he will be with us always to the very end of the age. When you see people who stay close in times of trouble, you're seeing God's presence through them. Much of the time it flies right over our head. We don't see it. We said, that's nice that they do that. No, it is nice that they do that. But they are reflecting the character of God. And if you look, you can see God and his presence through their actions. Then there's Mark. Paul says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. Now, this is interesting. If he comes to you, welcome him. So in Mark's life, we see the fourth indicator. If you see someone who has failed and is being restored, you might be seeing God through the people around you. Now, some of you know the story of Mark, also known as John Mark. In Acts 13, we're told that he set out with Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey. And then he quit. He deserted them. He went back. He failed. In Acts 15, a couple of chapters farther, when Paul and Barnabas were going to go out on another missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to take Mark, but Paul goes, no, no way. This guy's not coming. He left us. And it was such a, a disagreement that Barnabas took Mark, and Paul chose Silas, and they went off in two different directions on their missionary journey. Not necessarily a high point in the church, but a very real point. The story goes on, and you find out that Barnabas reclaims Mark 
And over the ensuing years, Mark doesn't give up again. He returns to God, returns to the ministry, proves himself faithful. In fact, Paul makes this comment in 2 Timothy 4. Get Mark and bring him because he is helpful to me in my ministry. What a turnaround in this guy's life. Eventually, Mark is called by God to be one of the writers of Scripture. The Gospel of Mark bears his name. Mark's second ch chance is a picture to everyone around of God's restoring grace in a person's life. Do you see God in Mark's life? Do you see him in the reclamation and the grace of God to raise him up, to restore him, and to use him? That's the presence of God. It certainly was powerful, powerfully evident in Mark's life. You know, maybe you've had experiences in your life and you need some time for further healing. And that's okay. We all have that. But if you've had enough time to heal, then get back in the game. Determine that you're not going to spend the rest of your life sitting on the sidelines. If you failed in some way, or know of somebody who's failed, don't give up on them or yourself. Remember the story of Mark. Because through people like Mark, God's presence is seen and experienced by those around him. Next, Mark talks about Jesus who is also called Justice. Justice, along with Aristarchus and Mark, were called by Paul the only Jews among my fellow workers. But because they lived among and ministered to Gentiles, it meant that they faced ostracism by the Jews and being expelled from the synagogue. Paul's comment on Justice and the others is this. They have proved a comfort to me. And that word translated comfort is a very, very tender word. So the fifth indicator to consider is this. If you see people who are bringing comfort to those who are hurting, you might be seeing God through the people around you. You know, Paul likewise shared the fate of being ostracized, of being expelled from synagogue after synagogue after synagogue. Well, sometimes we think of Paul as this really tough, kind of calloused character, but I don't think he was. I really don't. I think he needed comfort in his life from time to time. And justice, along with the others, saw that. And they brought comfort to Paul when he needed it. Is there anybody that you know that needs comfort? Is there anybody around you going through a loss of one sort or another who needs a, a phone call or a note or a meal or just a hug? What a wonderful thing to have said about you, what Paul says about justice. He's a comfort to me. 
In other words, I was wounded and hurt and lonely, and he brought healing to me. It could be part of what you bring to your circle of Christians. The last indicator is a powerful one. It affects you and those around you, but it's also a gateway to seeing God's presence in and through people around you. If you pray bold prayers on behalf of other Christians, you know, you might be seeing God through the people around you. Take a look at Colossians 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all, all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Now the word that Paul uses here for wrestling is used one other time in the book of Colossians to describe his own struggles on behalf of the church. We get our word agony from it. Agony. The biblical picture of wrestling that you might best remember is the Old Testament story of Jacob in Genesis 32 where he's visited by the angel of the Lord and, and, and Jacob wrestles with him and says, I will not let you go until I have your blessing. I won't. And he wrestled with him all night. Transfer that particular mental image to Epaphras and his prayer life. And you get the idea. Paul goes on to save Epaphras in verse 13. He's working hard for you. But what's most interesting is he brings that work ethic to prayer. He prays bold prayers. So when you pray bold prayers on behalf of Christ followers you know, God opens your eyes to seeing them as God sees them. You see their strengths. You see their weaknesses. You see his hand working in their lives in other ways than, than you would probably ever recognize. You see God's presence in their lives as you experience the prayers that you prayed on their behalf answered. Are you praying boldly for the faces and names in your circle? That's what Epaphras does. Though separated from Christians in Colossae by so many, many miles, he struggles and wrestles and agonizes for them in prayer. God shows you through the people around you his nearness. God shows you through the people around you his presence his character, and his love. And if you live out these six things in your life, you may be helping other people to see that God is closer than they think. Now, We've gone through three weeks of this. We've got one, week, one more week coming up. And next week, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. 
Next week is on spiritual pathways. And maybe you've never heard of that or talked about it. But within the church, we have this idea that everybody grows the same way. And so we kind of have this thing that we've adopted within the church. And I'm not talking about just this church. I'm talking about the broad Christian church. That here, this is what you do to grow. I don't believe that's true. I'm sorry. I've been doing this for a long time. And I don't think it's true. Even though I did it for a long time in terms of being a director of education. I think there's a lot of different ways to grow in your relationship with God. A lot of different ways to experience the presence of God in your life. And next week we're going to talk about that. Uh, It's a subject that's near and dear to my heart. Because I think we need to hear that. That it's okay not to be the intellectual person and have to know every jot and tittle of, of Greek and everything else in the Bible. But there are people that really grow by doing that. But there's people that grow in a lot of different ways. And we're going to talk about that. So the favor I'm asking you is if you know someone who needs to hear that in their life, would you take a risk? And it is. Would you invite them to come next week? Invite them just for that one time to hear this old guy spout off about different ways that you can grow. And they're all okay. They're all okay. And maybe you need to hear it too. You've never thought about it. And I just want to open the door as we close that if anything that I have said in the past three weeks, or we'll say next week, uh, causes you to think, and you'd like to sit down and talk with somebody about it, let me know. You know, I, I don't have an office here or anything, so you, know, you can come knock on the office door, but I can't let you in. But uh, you know, just let me know that you'd like to sit down and talk uh, and, and chat about it and explore it a little bit, and I'd be happy to make time to do that. Okay, let's close. Father God, we come to you, Lord, and, and we acknowledge that you are a great, great, great God. The creator, sustainer of the universe, the omni- omniscient one, the omnipotent one, that owned the cattle on a thousand hills and then some. But you want to be with us. And you sent your spirit to live inside of us. And you want us to open our eyes and see your presence around us in other people that we know, in other Christians. That reminds us God is closer than we think. Continue to raise our awareness. Continue to teach us that you're not far away. You're here and you want to walk with us just like you did with Adam. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen. There's a closing hymn.